0: It's Jeff Levering for Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Check out that effortless horizontal window slide and the best lifetime warranties in the industry. Order by April 30th and get 0% for 48 months at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the
1: Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the
0: WTMJ talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric said, before you leave, I do have one question. Our Avenue Studios, we have this big screen with like four different TVs on. Yeah. Okay, the, the one in the top corner, for the last five minutes, they've been going into extensive detail on how to fit Brazier's. I mean, it's just, and I'm, uh, I'm like, right. huh, okay. You know, normally, in, in all the years I've worked here, normally I have, like, news stations on and things like that and stuff. This was, like, extensive things about showing how to fit brassieres. And, and that I'm is the Today Show. Well, Hoda and Geno or something like that. I'm like, okay, that's, that, that's sort of... Interesting. And there's this one in the left corner. It's been in commercials for like nine minutes. I have no idea what that channel is because it's been nothing but commercials. And I am just, just kind of wondering who makes these decisions. But yeah, it looks like Steve must have these shows I, on. Absolutely. But if you, you want to know how to properly fit Braziers, I've just been watching that for the last five, seven, <laughs> or eight minutes. Now you know. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess news you need to know. Okay, I was just wondering who. So it, it's Scafiti that makes the decisions as to what we have on there. Uh, the host can change the channel whenever they want. Yeah, well, I'm only allowed to put Push a couple buttons, <laughs> and I find it works best if I only push sure. a couple buttons. Okay, I was just, I was just kind of wondering the Lulu Lane back to you bra. All right, so go figure. No, we're not going to be talking about that over the course of the next couple hours. Milwaukee Brewers baseball comes up right after the two o'clock news, but we have a lot of ground to cover before that. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. It is, it is the must see video of the day, which kind of dovetails into the first story I want to talk a little bit about. I I referred to this yesterday, um, Monday afternoon, Monday afternoon, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, when school is in session. So the question, of course, is why were these five juveniles doing what they were doing? Aren't they supposed to be in school? Oh, of course, nobody goes to school anymore. Anyhow, Monday afternoon, about 1 p.m., near 76th and Dean, you know, kind of on the – I don't know, sort of the northwest side of Milwaukee, Milwaukee police officers spot a vehicle that matches the description of one wanted in connection with an armed robbery. All right. So we're, we're not talking about, oh, driving with a suspended license or out of date tags. This is a car that's involved in an armed robbery. Police say the vehicle was driven recklessly. Officers tried to stop it. And then, of course, what happens? The driver speeds off. Well, 76th and Bradley, if you can picture that intersection, and if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 I've got a link to a story from Fox 6 Now that has the video of all this. Because there's an, an auto body shop, it's called AutoWise Body Shop, and it's located on 76th and, and Bradley, and they've got surveillance cameras, and you can see what is going on. What happens is this vehicle that I believe turns out to be stolen, um, the vehicle is fleeing the cops. Uh, the, at least one or two of the tires have been disabled. So they're flat. The car comes through the intersection at 76th and Bradley and without stopping, without even really slowing down, all of a sudden people, and you see this in the video, people jump out of the car. There's five, uh, juveniles that are in the car. The car is still moving. It's swerving down the road. It's it's, It's a miracle that there's not another car around there or there's not a pedestrian that's in the way. They jump out, including the driver, jumps out of the car and they all run. And a number of police start chasing them, and you can see the, these these punks where they run is they run into the auto body shop, and the auto body shop has surveillance cameras all over, and you can see the people running and ducking, and of course the employees are jumping around. They they think that there's going to be a shootout, but again, this is one of those stories, and you've got the police that are following them, and you can really understand if, if you if you think it's easy to be a police officer, just imagine this situation. You're you you find out that there's this car that's involved in an armed robbery. It flees from you. Five people abandon the car while it's still moving and start running. And and your job is to chase them. So you are in a highly, highly, highly volatile sort of situation. Now, in this case, there was not a shootout. The police were able to apprehend all five people. And we, we still don't know the ages of the people that were involved. But they're, they're described as juveniles, so whether this is 15, 16, 17, don't know yet. I mean, we will know when charges come out. But you, you just look at this video and you understand what a stressful situation this is for law enforcement who knows they're chasing a, a car that's been involved in an armed robbery, which means there is probably a good presumption that one or more of these people are armed. They're fleeing from the police. They're running into this business. So imagine that you're the cops facing this situation. You don't know what you're chasing into, and you know that regardless of what you do is going to be second-guessed. So you can check out this video. I I bring that up because it's the starting point in a story I want to talk about a little bit about what is going on out in Madison and a decision made by the, in my opinion, out-of-control district attorney, which is almost unthinkable. It involves an agent for the State Department of Criminal Investigation, DCI. His name is Mark Wagner. I do not know him, no relation, but his name is Mark Wagner. His background is extremely interesting. He was a police officer for the Milwaukee Police Department for 23 years. He worked as a narcotics detective. He was a bomb squad member. He was a dive team member. He was part of the drug task force, um, and he worked for the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. Okay, so here's an experienced police officer, worked for MPD for 23 years, and retired in 2017 the rank of detective. All right, he was still young enough to continue, you know, his his time with law enforcement. So what he did is after retiring from the Milwaukee Police Department, he joined the State Department of Justice, the Division of Criminal Investigation, DCI, and he began working there as a special agent. Um, for DCI in September of 2017 I tell I bring this story up because you you have somebody who has going on 30 years of experience in law enforcement we're not talking about rookie cops or anything like that working for DCI he served in the Narcotics Bureau uh, based out of the Milwaukee field office and he's also a DEA task force officer concentrating on complex drug trafficking investigations so that's the background of this guy we're talking about so February 3rd of last year, over a year ago. Here here's the deal. He is part of an arrest team and the 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 arrest team is tasked with taking what they believe to be a violent criminal into custody. 38-year-old guy who is wanted for selling fentanyl, which of course is You know, we all know about fentanyl, this opioid. He's wanted for selling fentanyl to somebody who subsequently died. All right. In addition to that, the person that they're taking into custody, this is not his first time at the rodeo. At the time we're going to be talking about on February 3rd of 2022, the guy that they're trying to arrest was on second, was on extended supervision for second degree, recklessly endangering safety. So he was convicted of that in 2017, served two years in prison for that conviction, um, was wanted again now in connection with this this distribution of fentanyl where somebody had ended up dying. He has previous convictions for fleeing police, disorderly conduct, bail jumping, trespassing, intimidating a victim, battery theft, and resisting. In other words, not a nice guy. So that's the person that this task force is trying to catch. We're going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to tell you what happened on that day, And what is going on now? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so let me pick up the story. February 3rd last year, you have this DCI, Division of Criminal Investigation agent, Mark Wagner, who has 27, close to 30 years of law enforcement experience, and, and he's assigned to this drug task force. And what they're trying to do is they're making plans to arrest this guy who, lengthy criminal record, who's wanted for... A variety of things, including, um, you know, violations of his parole or his extended supervision is what they call it. But also the allegations are that he, he sold fentanyl to somebody who subsequently died. So they, they make these plans to try to arrest him, and he's part of the, this task force. What they decide they're going to do is they want to follow him, and then they're going to execute this, this maneuver that law enforcement does. It's called a SIC maneuver subject in custody. And and here's here's what they do. The, The 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 suspect parks his car on a street. And then what you do is you have two law enforcement vehicles that swoop in and they pin the car in. One car pulls up behind the subject's car and gets right up to the bumper. The other car pulls up in front of the subject's car, backs up so that the car is pinned in. If you can imagine this and this is it's a maneuver that they execute. It's a it's a relatively common technique that's used and so they decide that's what they're going to do so they they see the suspect in this case he parks they they follow him he was at a park-and-ride lot or something and they made the decision no it's too dangerous to try to execute this now so what we're going to do is we're going to wait till he parks his car and then we're going to do this one car is going to swoop in behind one car is going to swoop in in front we're going to block the car in the cops are going to get out they're going to make the arrest alright so the subject car pulls to the street that's what happens one car pulls in behind one car pulls in ahead The police, including Special Agent Wagner, get out of the car. They are screaming, Police, police, you know, show, police, police, put up your hands. The bad guy, the subject in the car, does not surrender. Instead, he starts revving, and this is the description. He's trying to force his way out. So the, the tires are spinning, you know, the car is pinned, but he's flooring the gas, trying to either push the car in front of him forward or push the car behind him back. He's trying to rev the, the tires to, to flee. The cops get out of the car. Multiple police, screaming, police, police, surrender. Show us your hands, show us your hands. Now, what I'm going to describe to you happens in, in a matter of, of seconds. So the car also, it's tinted. The windows are tinted, so the cops can't see. They, it's tough to see through what what's happening because they're tinted and there's a glare or whatever. So uh, the Special Agent Wagner gets out of the car. He's behind it. He's got a plexiglass shield that's, you know, designed to kind of protect him, and he's got his handgun drawn. There's another officer that gets out behind him who's got a rifle, and then there's a third officer whose job is to go and kind of bash in the um, side window of of the car that they're trying to get. So they jump out of the car. They're screaming, police, police, surrender, show us your hands. The guy behind the wheel of the car is not doing that. He's trying to, uh, again, jockey the car back and forth. The wheels are spinning, and this is all going on in a matter of a couple seconds. What happens is Officer Wagner, who's coming up from the driver's side of the car, he's got this plexiglass shield up. All of a sudden, He's, he's looking yeah, kind of through the, the glass in the window and stuff, and he sees the defendant, the subject, whatever, he sees him kind of reach down. He thinks he's going to grab a gun. At that point in time, all of a sudden, Officer Wagner's shield gets hit by something that, that's flying. He thinks the guy has shot at him, and then he fires what turns out to be two shots. One of the shots hits the... I don't know the, the the bar from the between the roof and the um and the body of the car and the bullet kind of shatters. A couple fragments of the bullet go into the suspect's back. OK, he's, he's not killed by this. Officer Wagner thought he fired once. As it turns out, he, he fired twice. But this is all happening at once. Turns out that the subject didn't have a gun. Um, But what he did and the thing that hit Officer Wagner's protective shield was it was glass that was shattering when one of his other police officers like like kicked in the, the the side window. But this is all happening in a couple seconds. You've got loud noise. You've got the guy who's refusing to surrender. You've got the tires that are spinning and smoke. All of a sudden, the officer's got the plexiglass shield, gets hit by this piece of glass, enough to knock him down. He fires what turns out to be two shots, and one of them, the bullet shatters and hits the guy in the back uh, as he's sitting there. They then make the arrest. All right, this would be the end of it. Jeff, why are you talking about this? It would be the end of it, but for the fact that A number of months later, um, so this happens in February, let me make sure I've got the numbers right, Uh, September, so you're talking, you know, eight months later, seven, eight months later, the district attorney in Dane County, Ismail Ozan, charges, charges this DCI officer with second degree recklessly endangering safety with the use of a dangerous weapon. In other words, Firing his gun under this circumstance, he gets charged and is now looking at a felony conviction for this. He has been suspended with pay, but it's... Uh, again, you're mounting legal fees and things like this. This is a case that has drawn the attention of law enforcement all over the state, actually all over the country, as people wonder, what is going on here? Now, it's no secret that you've got some people who are in law, who are in prosecutor's offices who are anti-cop. You've got other uh, prosecutors who are are more concerned with trying to appease certain segments of the community than they are with seeing that justice is done. But this is one of these situations where you you have this officer and candidly most of the people who are objectively looking at this going, wait a minute, this is the case that you're going to bring charges on? You've got this guy who's wanted on a very, very serious offense, who is clearly not surrendering, who is resisting arrest, and in the space of a couple seconds, you have this entire chaotic sort of situation, and the officer discharges his firearm, as it turns out, twice. He said he thought he only fired once, but again, this is all in a matter of seconds. And, you know, Ismail Ozan wants to destroy this man's career and put him in prison, potentially, with a felony case conviction. It is one of the most inexplicable prosecutive charges that I have ever seen in my life and that is saying something. And it is like I say it is developing uh, attention from law enforcement all over the country as people are just shaking their heads about, you know, what is going on here. Well, I think it's pretty clear what's going on here is there is an effort to pander to some vocal anti-police segments of the community and i'll be the first to tell you i don't think police get it right all the time but you look at a case like this, and even looking at it in the light most favorable to the prosecution, it's why would you charge somebody under these sort of circumstances like this within a split-to-second decision? And if you look at Special Agent Wagner's statement, he said, why'd you fire the gun? He said, I thought the guy shot at me. He, he said, I, I, this, this happens just all at once. My plexiglass shield gets hit. I thought he fired at me. I saw him reaching for something. Then, boom, I get the plexiglass shield gets hit. Yes, I returned fire because I thought he was going to kill me. Well, what what reasonable jury is going to be able to say beyond a reasonable doubt that that your behavior was improper? And, And I think this is a definite loser, even with a Dane County jury. But that doesn't change the fact that you essentially by even bringing these charges, you ruin somebody's life. Yeah, you gotta rack up huge legal expenses. You're always gonna be thought of as the police officer who used excessive force or something like that, even after you're acquitted. It's these types of situations. Especially viewed in the light of what officers face on a daily basis, like watch that videotape that I have a link to on my Twitter account, that makes you wonder, especially in some of these areas where you get almost no support from a district attorney's office who is more obsessed with political correctness than anything else, It makes how do you get police officers if you're going to be put in one of these high risk sort of situations and then all of a sudden you're going to find yourself facing felony charges because of a split second decision that you make where if if the bad guy had simply done what he had been instructed to do, none of this would have happened. But here you have a situation that is escalated when the bad guy, instead of simply surrendering, decides that he is going to, I don't know, try to bang his way out with the cars. And then, again, in the opinion of the officer, thought he was reaching for a gun. He didn't have a gun. Officer was wrong in believing that there was a gun. But that doesn't change the fact that the officer didn't know this. We're going to be focusing on this case over the course of the next several months because it's a classic example to me of a huge injustice that is being done and it's being done more in the name of political correctness than anything else lots of texts on this one from mike in fort atkinson jeff i was a cop for 32 years this is crap it's no wonder that so few quality men and women want to be cops these days madison enjoy your pillory your show trial and the prosecution of a good man in the long run you'll rue this injustice i hope it's the short run they end up ruining it as well If you want to read more about the the story that I was telling you about and follow it, there there is a website. It's called, one word, Stand With Wags. And his his name is Mark Wagner. So the website is standwithwags.com. And they've got all the details. They've got some of the court documents that I was referring to. They've got all the developments. And, uh, there's also, you know, a fundraising component attached to it as they think are trying to offset legal expenses and things like that. But I'm just telling you, this is, as somebody who's been around, prosecutions and law enforcement for 40-plus you know, years now. This is one of the most inexplicable cases that I have ever seen, and it seems to me it's more politically motivated than the force of justice. But you ruin people's lives, and you send a message to police officers that, hey, we're going to put you in extremely dangerous situations, and we're not going to support you when you defend yourself. And I think it's really interesting that that you have something like this going on. At the same time, we have those two um, – police officers who were, were shot by, while making a quote-unquote routine traffic stop. This is the problem. When you have these aggressive district attorneys who decide that they want to second-guess spontaneous decisions that are made under very, very volatile situations – all you need to do is have that officer pause just a second or two when they think, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I just I need to defend myself. But, boy, if I'm wrong in this particular case, I've got a district attorney like the one in Dane County who's going to come after me and try to ruin my life. That's all you need before, you know, you hesitate for that split second and you end up in the morgue. And that's the message that the Dane County district attorney is sending. If you want to see more about this, again, that the website is Stand With Wags and they, they have a bunch of information. We will be following this case closely over over the course of the next couple months. All right, let us completely switch gears. I I have I have reached this point in my life and I have never I've never been fired or laid off. I don't quite know how that's happened. People people say if you work in radio, you know, and you really, you're not really a radio professional unless you've been fired three or four times. Never been fired. You know, it's this this is the second radio station I, I worked at one part time, you know, up the dial and then came here and been here for going on 25 years. And I guess you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I think we're, we're pretty set as to you know, what my career trajectory is. So I've I've never had this happen, but I know that there's all sorts of people out there who have either been fired or laid off, in many cases, through no fault of your own. It's just one of those situations where, hey, business takes a a turn for the worse. You've got to make those reductions in forces, those type of things. And so, you know, you think that, hey, one day, hey, this is great. Next day, you find out that this job that you thought you were going to have for a long time is gone. And it's a very, very traumatic situation. The question becomes, you know, how... How do, does management handle this, and what does management, if anything, owe their employees? I bring this up because we, we all know that, especially during the pandemic, which, by the way, if you haven't seen, Joe Biden signed a proclamation saying the pandemic is now officially over. There is no more health crisis due to COVID, and I don't disagree with that. I think the pandemic ended a long time ago, but but Joe Biden has now officially proclaimed the pandemic over. What's happened during the pandemic, of course, is lots of people decided that they were going to work from home. Right. And we found that remote work for many, many people. um, It it works out. You're, You're able to do it. A lot of employers, though, uh, want people back in the office for a variety of reasons. And as I've argued before, employers have the right to do that. I mean, they get the right to set the terms of conditions. And if they want you back in the office, your choice is I go back in the office or I, I find something else to do. But the flip side of working at home and working remotely and having the Zoom meetings and all that is what happens when there is a separation. By separation, I mean what happens when it is time to move on. Maybe you saw this story, but last week, McDonald's, big, big company, McDonald's asked thousands of corporate employees who usually work from the office at least three days a week to stay home from the job. They sent out this note, say, don't don't come in. We want you to continue to work remotely. Don't come into the office. Why did they tell the employees not to come into the office? Well, because their plan was they were going to be laying off hundreds of employees, and they didn't want to do it in person. They wanted to deliver the news virtually, either through emails or team meetings or or whatever. They didn't want the people who were going to be laid off to come into the office. Now, they're, and, that, and that's what they've done. And this is not unusual. More and more companies are doing this. They're not bringing people in. The companies say, hey, we're doing the employees a favor because we don't want to embarrass you. Jeff, we don't want to bring you in, call you in after the show, tell you that you're fired or you're laid off or whatever, and then have you subject to the embarrassment of having to go over to your space Accumulate, you know, take whatever you have around the office, put it in your box of future endeavors, and then walk out of the building. We don't want you to have to do that. So we want to save you that embarrassment by laying you off, firing you, whatever you want to term re- remotely. We want to, we want to help you. We're looking out for you to lay you off remotely. They also say, hey, if people can work remotely and that's a benefit, why shouldn't we be able to lay them off remotely? Why do we have to have that in-person conversation? Companies also say, well, you know, we're also, you know, we if we lay people off remotely, we don't have to worry about somebody coming in and trashing the office, you know, after they get the bad news. So more and more companies are starting to do exactly what McDonald's did last week. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Here's my question to you. All right, is this... Is this a crummy way out? If a company is going to separate from you, you're going to be fired, you're going to be laid off, do they owe it to you to do that in person, to have that face-to-face conversation, or does it make any difference? If they decide they want to just dump you and they do it over the Internet and tell you not to come in, is that perfectly okay? All right, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. You need to get the bad news in person. Would you like to get the bad news in person? We discuss in just a moment. See, this really is life-imitating art. If you remember a few years back, there was a movie called Up in the Air with George Clooney, and, and he played a guy. His, his job was he would get hired by companies who were doing layoffs and stuff, And he would travel around and the the companies would would hire him and he'd come in and he'd have these meetings and he'd fire people. That's what the guy did for a living. And the plot of the movie, at least one of the plots of the movie was his company was experimenting with doing this all over the internet. The the idea is you'd bring the employee into a room, you'd set him down and he'd be in his office wherever his office was, New York or whatever and and you'd fire people remotely and they'd just be like looking at, at the camera. And at the end of the movie i'm not giving anything away that they decided Nah, this probably isn't the best way to do it but this is life imitating art because this is what a lot of companies are doing nowadays they're firing people remotely story in the washington post when an employee with amazon's gaming unit tried to sign in for work last tuesday all right you wake up you know you're working remotely you sign in she found her access to most internal systems had been revoked All right, no, you can't access this. You can't access that. Her calendar had been cleared except for a 15-minute meeting labeled organizational update, quote-unquote. During that organizational update, quote-unquote, a manager read from a corporate script as he explained that her position had been eliminated. She said the conversation felt impersonal after the years she'd spent with the company. 855-616-1620. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I think I, I think this is this is the new wave with people working from home. Uh, I'm currently retired. I worked forty some years in the trucking industry, but at least and I and I had been let go of jobs, but at least they would bring me in the office and look me in the eye and say, "Well, you know, it's not. We're going broke. Mostly, that's what happened because sure. they work on a shoestring." But uh, my my oldest son. Opted to go back to the office. He was working virtually. He could have stayed working virtually, but he went back to the office for that very reason. He said, it's too easy to fire you if they don't see you every day. Mm -hmm. And I I think you're going to see a lot of people stressed, and I think a lot of younger people today are really stressed out about this, too, because they never know when the shoe's going to drop.
0: Yeah, and especially I mean the, the story I just went through it it you know can, can you imagine okay you you know you're, you're working you, you log on it's eight o'clock or eight thirty in the morning you log on all of a sudden you find that you you can't access any of the things that you were supposed to access and then you know except for this meeting and then you're canned by somebody that you don't know um, th- thanks for calling I think you are right that this is more and more the wave of the future I, I get it but at the same time I think it stinks. And I, I really, I firmly believe that. Now, I, I get that, you know, there, there's there's people who just, there, there are people who just, you know, quit right away. They, I'm, they call up and they say, I'm not coming in and I'm not giving notice. So I understand that's a problem. But for people that have worked for a company for, a, you know, any length of time, I think you are owed at least the, that in-person contact that you get to sit on that other side of the desk. And I understand it doesn't change anything, but this idea that we're doing people a favor by by firing them remotely, by just you know, pulling this out of the blue, by telling them to stay home, we're doing them a favor because then they're they're not embarrassed, quote unquote, when they have to pick that take that box of future endeavors and and do the walk of shame or whatever. That that's that's bull. I mean, I'm sorry. That that's just. Because everybody's going to know that those people got fired, and, and I don't know, what do they do? Do they box, box up their stuff? Do they say, well, come back, you know, after hours, and you can pack these things up? And, I mean, I guess I, I understand that we do more and more stuff over the Internet, but, I mean, I'm trying to picture myself. If I was a one of these employees, a corporate employee at McDonald's, and let's say – I'd worked there for ten or fifteen years, and all of a sudden, I look, I understand business is business. I'm a free market guy. I understand that sometimes these decisions need to get made, and they're tough decisions. But if all of a sudden I, I found out I'm being told not to come into work and just watch your email because you know you're going to get an email or something, I would. If you wonder why it is that people hate corporations. I I think this is, you know, one of those examples. I think, you know, a good, decent corporation at least that that in-person type of contact to explain this to somebody. Jeff, back in 2008, my company called and left a message on my answering machine while I was still at work. When I got home, it was on my machine telling me that I was laid off. I got called back three months later, but still left a very, very bad taste in my mouth. Jeff, the last two companies I worked with did exactly that. You got an email in the morning that said, be on on this team's call at 10 o'clock no explanation of why nobody that you know, even your manager, and they just say you're fired. I thought it was a bunch of BS. Um, Jeff, my company, a financial services company, works primarily remotely, just eliminated 86 positions via email. They were provided with a two-month-long working notice and a month severance. Um, yeah, Uh <sighs> 855-616-1620 Jeff it sounds like a very cowardly way to do something like that what happened to morals and common courtesy to others now look i also understand that there might be occasions where it's not practical to do that let, let me let's let's say you're working remotely and you are in Milwaukee Wisconsin and your headquarters are based in Houston Texas and you know you're what you do is once a month, you know, you fly to Houston into the home office or, or something like that, or maybe once every two months or, or whatever. And so it's it's just not necessarily practical. Well, we're not going to fly somebody halfway across the country. There, there might be situations like that. But for the typical people who are going into the office or who work close to the office or who the employers are trying to bring back because, you know, they want to get everybody in, I, I think you at least deserve a face-to-face conversation. It doesn't change anything, and like I say, I, I think alternatively. I've never had any. I, I've I've always been sort of appalled at the people who just decide I'm going to quit with no notice. I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm just not going to show up for my shift. I, I think that's unfair to even if you've had a bad work experience, that's unfair to the people that have been paying you your salaries or, or whatever. I'm not saying you necessarily have to give notice, although I've always believed that if you're going to leave a job, you want to leave on, on a good note. You know, you want to leave with people thinking as positively as possible to, for you. And maybe that's why you say, hey, I'm looking to go somewhere else. And, I, you know, I here's a month notice. Um, maybe you don't want me to work that out. But whatever you you offer, you try to leave on the best terms possible. I understand we're getting more and more impersonal moving forward. But it seems to me that even though, as I frequently say on this program, you know, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And to me... If you're going to fire somebody, if you're going to lay off somebody, even if you have a right to do it over the Internet at a Teams meeting or via email, still doesn't, at least in my mind, make it the right thing to do. Live from the Annex Wealth Management
1: Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
0: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Brewers baseball coming up in about an hour or so. What a great start. I just, it, this was one of those years where I had had no idea how how the Brewers were going to do. And of course, it's it's early in the season. They played 11 games out of 162. But at least the early results, I and mean, they've certainly gotten off to a good start. And this is the, the games they're playing right now are a pretty key indicator because they're they're on a West Coast road trip. You've got a young team, ten games on the West Coast. They go from Arizona to San Diego, then up to Seattle, and you know this is one of those where you know they, they're able, if if you know they're able to come back even go 5 and 5 and something on this this road trip i think that would be something extremely positive because they're playing some very good teams and some very hot teams and you can hear game 3 between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Brewers coming up in just about an hour or so i have told this story before when i was when i was 16 or about to turn 16 i very 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 much wanted my driver's license and it just that's what kids did, and and because my birthday's um in May, it was I was they offered drivers ed through the high school I went to. I went to Nicolay High School, and they offered it during the summer. But because I was because my birthday was in May, and I forget exactly how this worked, but the summer I was fifteen, I was I was too young to take drivers ed in school, so I would have had to wait. To take driver's ed in school till the summer after I was 16 years old. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that. So I think it was as a Christmas gift or something. You know, my parents signed me up for private driving license lessons. And I, I, I went to, um, there was an arcade driving academy. I think that's still one of the people that places that teach people how to drive. And I remember I went to the one. It was by the old Capitol Court. It was on like 60th and Capitol or something like that. And, and I can remember there were, it was, it was at a Y. YW, YMCA building that I'm sure it's like long gone but I can remember going there and you'd have classroom stuff and then they had you know the different hours of road instruction and, and the bottom line was I got all that stuff completed I, you know I uh, had my learner's permit or whatever they call that and then the morning of my 16th birthday my dad took me over to the driver's uh, the, the DMV office on um, Mill Road in Glendale and I remember having, having the driver's test and miraculously I passed And I just remember thinking, oh, this is really cool. This is my my sense of freedom. I've turned 16, and I've gotten my driver's license, and I remember it was so cool. Now, as we've talked about before, more and more people when they turn 16, they don't don't feel about uh, driver's licenses like I did and my my friends did. Some people very much want them, but I know a a lot of people whose kids or grandkids, they turn 16, and it's you know, they'll get the driver's license or not. And, of course, nowadays, you don't even have to take a driver's test. Your parents can sign off on it as long as you've taken a driver's ed class and you've had X number of behind-the-wheel stuff. So you don't even have to do what I ended up doing, which is taking the test. And that's a whole topic for another conversation. I continue to believe that that is a bad idea. But but driver's ed, of course, it's not mandatory. And what happens is after you turn 18, if you want to get a driver's license, as long as you can pass the test, you you don't have to have had driver's ed. If you're under 18, you know, you're going to have had to have driver's ed in some fashion. The schools, for example, in Milwaukee, they do have a program where for up to 2,000 kids, They they offer um, free drivers ed. Yeah, the MPS division of something called um, yeah. They they offer free uh, drivers education. So that that's that's two thousand students. But they they say, well, that's there's more that we could offer. They also have a community based program which costs one hundred and fifty dollars for participants, and that serves about three hundred students. So there is. A taxpayer supported driver's ad, but it doesn't it 's not mandatory that everybody take it and it it's full i mean there's more demand than necessarily there's more demand than there are spots so here 's the deal Tony Evers and Milwaukee former alderman now state representative bob Donovan are saying here 's what we should do we we want to take millions of dollars, maybe six million dollars, and what we want to do is we want to fund universal driver's ed. So anybody in high school, regardless of their income level, regardless of how much money mom or dad makes, anybody who wants free driver's ed should be able to get free driver's ed paid for by the taxpayers. And the argument to this is that if people have driver's ed, we're going to reduce reckless driving. The number of people driving recklessly will decrease if people have to take driver's ed. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here, here's the deal. First of all, I don't have any problem with driver's ed. I, I, I don't. I think driver's ed is, is a good thing. I do have two comments, though. Number one, I do not believe there is a connection in any material fashion between driver's ed and driver's ed and reckless driving, at least the type of reckless driving that we see on a regular basis around here. Because I firmly believe that the people who are driving 95 miles an hour, running through red lights, they know that they're not supposed to drive 95 miles an hour and run through red lights. And driver's ed isn't going to change that one way or the other so to say it's going to reduce reckless driving at least as the reckless driving problems that we have here I I think that's that's just absurd the people who are driving recklessly know they are driving recklessly and they don't care that they're driving recklessly And you can have all the driver's ed classes in the world and and that's not going to change that that's number one number two As far as the taxpayers picking up the tab for universal driver's ed, and I guess I feel the same way about this as I feel about universal school lunches, explain to me why, I don't know, the 16- or 15-year-old child of two doctors in Waukesha County who are earning half a million dollars or more a year, why the taxpayers should be picking up the tab for their kid to go to driver's ed. It seems to me that, again, if you want your kid to get a driver's license before they turn 18 or whatever, all right, this is a situation where, all right, you can afford to pay the freight to get the kid into the 150 bucks that they need to go to the different driving schools. I'm not anti-drivers ed. I think it's a good thing. I do have serious questions as to, first of all, if the justification is going to be reckless driving, I don't buy it. Secondly, for people who can afford it, Why should the taxpayers be picking up the tab? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this? We discuss in just a moment. (music) Jeff, do we also need to pay for the 14-year-old who wants to steal cars and get driver's ed? See, that's kind of my point. Again, if you were listening at the beginning of the show, I've got... The story from Fox 6 that that shows something that happened Monday afternoon, one o'clock, five juveniles who were involved in an armed robbery, driving a stolen car, fleeing from the cops, uh, just bailing out on the car at 76th and Bradley Road, running from the police um, into an auto body shop. My guess is you could give these kids all the driver's ed in the world, and it wasn't going to change anything. So I'm not anti-driver's ed. I mean, I'm a product of of driver's ed and stuff, but, but this idea that it's going to stop the reckless driving problem we have is, I think, silly. The second factor is, at least when it comes to people who can afford, you know, driver's ed, whose families are in a position to afford it, why should the taxpayers be underwriting this? I mean, it is driving is a privilege it is is not a a right we're we're not talking about access to you know basic educational skills like reading and writing and arithmetic and I and I I understand that there is a value to driver's ed I'm just saying I, I don't think I don't think the taxpayers have an obligation to pay for it for people whose parents can otherwise afford it let's talk to Steve in Oak Creek Steve you're on WTMJ
1: Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And just to clarify,
0: this is not Steve Scafidi. The other Steve from Oak Creek. I agree
1: completely with you that uh, driver's ed is a good thing. Uh, It shouldn't be paid for by the state universally. Parents can afford it. They should pay for it. And I also agree that the driver's ed, mandatory driver's ed won't do anything about reckless driving because those people that do so know what they're doing, like you said, and they're just completely irresponsible you immoral
0: people. Well, thanks for calling, Steve. I, I don't know about the immoral stuff, but also, I, I mean, I don't want to get too much on my high horse when it comes to the, the, the reckless driving and stuff, but but here, here's the bottom line. I'm willing to bet that the vast majority – of people who are engaged in the, the chronic reckless driving that, that we talk about on this program. They don't have driver's licenses in the first place. Maybe they've never had a driver's license. If they've had a driver's license, the driver's license was lost long ago, revoked, suspended, whatever. So th- this idea that, hey, you know, we, we have a, these kids sit in a couple classes, that that's going to, to stop that. No, that there, there is a disconnect. And, and so... I understand that we're all upset about reckless driving and we're kind of like grasping at straws to try to figure out ways to do it. To suggest that driver's ed or universal driver's ed is this magic bullet that's going to reduce that problem, it, it to me, it's again, it's a complete disconnect. I think there is little or no relation. Now, if you want to argue then, okay, well, driver's ed in and of itself is a good thing and the taxpayers should be providing it, Well, there's all sorts of good things that the taxpayers should be be providing. Then we need to have the conversation about, okay, let's look at spending and is driver's ed – especially for people whose parents have the ability to pay for it or kids have the ability to pay for it. Is that a reasonable thing? Jeff, whatever happened to the kid picking up a part-time job to pay for driver's ed classes? My children and my grandchildren have all had to pay for their own because they happened to go to a private school and nothing is ever given free to kids in the private schools, but they wanted the licenses and they did get part-time jobs and they paid for their own classes and they helped purchase their own cars and paid for their their own insurance and they did this at the age of 15 and a half jeff most of the kids they are arresting for reckless driving etc aren't even old enough to hold a driver's license in the first place right that that's the disconnect that's out there to try to link universal driver's ed to reckless driving I'm, i'm sorry it just it doesn't you know it doesn't work that way. And again, you can argue that there's, there's a value to having people have to go through driver's ed. You can argue that, and I appreciate that, but let's not link it with reckless driving. Jeff, um, Driver's Ed is not going to reduce reckless driving in any shape or form. The two are not related at all. The reckless driving is being committed by people who only care about themselves. They're reckless people, rebellious people, people who have no morals. It has nothing to do with how they learn to drive. And if anybody thinks it does, they are naive. And of course, if a family can afford to pay for driver's ed, they should pay for it themselves. We cannot pay for everything for everyone. This is just another example of political correctness. A- absolutely. Jeff, the problem is having a driver's license used to be considered a privilege, and people valued that privilege. But because there are no repercussions for losing a license or not having one, that is why people do not care. Um Yeah. That, that, and I guess that's that is my point I don't want again people to hear the segment say oh he's, he doesn't think that people should go to drivers that, that, that's not the point it that's not the point at all I am just saying that when it comes to prioritizing educational expenses for people who can pay for it for people who can afford to pay for it this is not I think a taxpayer priority of doing it and as we've said repeatedly to try to link this to reckless driving that's just that that's just not reality and it frustrates me because when it comes to reckless driving that the real answer at least short-term is we need to start locking up the reckless drivers we need to start seizing the cars and this idea that oh, you know here we're gonna have universal driver's ed so that's gonna make this problem go away sorry that's just window dressing it's not gonna make any difference at all welcome back so glad to have you with us well I'm proud of myself. This morning, I saved myself $1.50. Nope, $1.50. Now, Sandy Max is going to be doing the news in a minute. You want to know I, how I was able to save myself $1.50? How'd you do it, Jeff? All right, here's the deal. I, I, was, I was out of stamps, almost out of stamps. And I, I don't use stamps a lot, but there's occasionally, you know, things that I'll have to send them out for. Well, um, the price of stamps is going up um effective July 9th it's going up right now it's 63 cents a stamp it's going up to 66 cents a stamp it's going up 3 cents interestingly it's gone up a lot it was a 50 a stamp was 50 cents um, back in 2019, and now effective July 9th, it's going to be up to 66 cents. It's gone up 32 cents, 32 percent in just two years, three years.
1: If you had pop quizzed me, I would have said I thought it was 60 cents, six zero.
0: It's 63 now. Wow. That was the most recent increase, but it's going up to 66. So anyhow, I needed stamps. But of course, if you buy them now, they're the forever stamps. So if you buy them now, you've locked in. So by paying. $31. so I went to the post office and I, I went to the machine and I I 50 stamps I figured 50 stamps is gonna last me for a long time so about 50 stamps and it was 31 whatever so I saved three cents a stamp so I've got a dollar fifty in my pocket that's burning a hole in my pocket waiting for me to figure out how I'm gonna spend it hmm. Hmm. I wonder how you do that but see that's like buying gas don't you wait till it gets to be a certain amount
1: and you realize if you filled up at 10 gallons that you saved a buck but you still
0: feel good about it you do but in general with gas it's kind of like for me it's more like of a convenient sort of thing it's when do i notice that i need it and when is it convenient and stuff but but yeah so this is the bottom line for those of you who and i understand i'm gonna get all these texts from people going what do you mean? You, what do you still use these stamp things? Well, look, I, I, I mean, I use a lot fewer stamps than I did four or five years ago. And a lot of the stuff, it's just you get the bill electronically and it comes out of your checking account or whatever. But there are, there are still things that I use stamps for. And now with 50 stamps, I think I probably got a two or three year supply. So if you're out and about and you want to be like Jeff and you want to save some money, go do this now because the stamps are going up again on July 9th. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee Brewers Baseball, coming up in about a half hour or so. Um, we will be talking a lot over the course of the next year or so about the, the U.S. Senate race in Wisconsin. The, the news today is Tammy Baldwin, who's uh, served a couple terms in the Senate. She's announcing, of course, that she's going to be running again. Uh, this it, It's going to be an interesting race. And, and the I think in many respects... Whether or not Tammy Baldwin gets reelected depends on on two things. First of all, who the Republican candidate for president is, and secondly, not surprisingly, who the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate is. In the last couple statewide elections, Republicans have inexplicably, or conservatives have inexplicably chosen, in my opinion, by far the, the weakest or weaker candidate and in some cases, this has been a Democrat urging that have, they've created these groups that, you know, identify who the weaker candidate is and they support them. And those candidates have, in fact, emerged. So I, I don't know who's going to get in the Senate race. I mean, there's names that are bandied about. But I I think that there might be some other people whose names aren't thrown around that come in there. But clearly, this is a situation where if you're going to beat Tammy Baldwin, you need a, a strong Republican candidate to emerge on top of that, you also need a strong Republican candidate who's going to run for president. If this is a situation where the Republicans can win Wisconsin on the presidential level, uh, Joe Biden is apparently going to run again. And if Republicans get a candidate, and that means it's not going to be Donald Trump. Sorry for those of you out there. But if it's somebody other than Trump that can win Wisconsin with, let's say, 52 percent of the vote, I think there's chances that coupled with a strong U.S. Senate candidate, there will be coattails now. Uh, Will that happen? I don't know. But it's going to be an interesting conversation over the course of the next 18 months or so. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is 249-349-449. The question is, how much will it cost you to watch NFL games via YouTube TV this fall? Now, for those of you who, who might not be familiar with this, there is something they call the NFL Sunday Ticket. And up until this year, it's been available on DirecTV. You had to have DirecTV. And for about 300 bucks, you could watch all the out-of-market NFL football games. So let's say you were a Cleveland Browns fan living in, in Milwaukee. And you you wanted to watch Cleveland play Buffalo or whatever. Well, if you had Sunday Ticket, you could you could watch that game. It would be available there. Um, NF Direct TV lost the Sunday Ticket package. It went over to YouTube TV, and I, I don't know how many of you have YouTube. I I happen to have it because of my place in Florida, and we, we needed. Long story, doesn't make any difference. But we have it in Florida. So if you have it in Florida, you have it here. YouTube T V costs like seventy three bucks a month. And for YouTube T V, what that does is it gives you local channels and it gives you oh, I would say Probably about 45, approximately, of the most popular cable channels. So if you have YouTube TV, and it's a streaming service, okay? YouTube TV now has the rights, the exclusive rights to the NFL Sunday ticket. Now, YouTube TV, like I say, the subscription right now is 73 bucks a month. Here is the deal. And they just announced this yesterday. For people who want the Sunday ticket, access to be able to watch all the football games that are there, not just the ones that are televised locally, um, on YouTube TV, if you're a subscriber and you pay before June sixth, you can get you can get the Sunday ticket for 249 bucks. But you have to be a YouTube TV subscriber. Um, after June. The cost goes up a hundred dollars to three hundred and forty-nine bucks, and let's see. If you're not a YouTube subscriber, you don't want to sign up for YouTube for four hundred forty-nine dollars. You can get the NFL Sunday ticket as a standalone. So two let's round up. 200 it's interesting they make it 249 instead of 250 because people think that that's less money. Okay, 249 if you're a YouTube subscriber and you do it in the next couple months, 349 if you're a YouTube subscriber, regular price, 449 if you don't want YouTube TV. But that's that's a ton of money to watch out of market NFL football games. Now I'm intrigued by this because I, we're, we're already talking about what's going on with, like, the Bally Sports Network, for example, here, where the, the parent company has declared bankruptcy for all these regional sports networks that carry, like, baseball games and basketball games. They're, they can't make money doing this because there's not enough people that are subscribing either to the app or or subscribing through their cable provider or whatever. So they're not generating enough revenue to cover the, the rights fees. And I think part of that is because people are simply deciding, well, you know, we it's not worth that much to us. And it's putting some of these regional sports networks into a huge bind. So here, this isn't baseball, and it's not basketball, it's football. And YouTube TV is saying, okay, we think the market's going to bear 249 if you buy early, three hundred forty nine if you're a YouTube TV subscriber, or if you're not, we think people are going to pay four hundred and fifty bucks to watch these games. Our number is That six one six twenty. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. I want to channel my inner Clark Howard here. All right, is are they pricing themselves out of the market? Is that is that too much money for people to pay for the out-of-market games. Now, again, if you're a Packers fan and you're here in Wisconsin, you're going to be able to watch the Packers like you've always been able to watch. But if you are a Packers fan, for example, and you're living in Fort Myers, Florida, and you want to see the games, well, and you want to guarantee that you're going to see all the games. Best way, probably the only way to do that is to, unless you're going to go to a bar that has this, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to have to pay the dough. Will people pay that dough? Is the demand for football games going to be enough to justify these costs? And, again, for DirecTV, it was 300 bucks. But DirecTV, you had to have a satellite dish. You had to have all that stuff going on. YouTube TV is easier. All you need to do is, you, I mean, YouTube TV, it's a streaming service. So all you need to do is have Internet access. It's much easier to sign up for YouTube TV than it is for DirecTV. But they're charging you a, a lot more particularly if you are not a regular YouTube user. Will this work? How price sensitive are these games going to be? 8556161620. You know, I'm just I'm I'm trying to think this through. If I were if I were a Packers fan living in in Florida or Arizona, Um, would it be worth, and I was a YouTube TV subscriber, would I pay 250 bucks to be able to watch the Packers every week? The answer is yes, it probably would be. But at the same time, though, as a Packers fan who lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who can watch those games, you've got the Thursday night games, you've got the Sunday games, you've got the Monday games. Would I shell out 250 or 350 or 450 to watch, to watch teams that I don't necessarily support, that I don't support? That, that's, that's a lot of money. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. And as as I was telling your producer, uh, maybe they're banking on people, all the people that moved during COVID out of the big cities into different areas. um, And they're willing to pay that money to watch their team. Um, I certainly wouldn't pay it, uh, you know, living in the Chicago market. I don't need to. But I suppose maybe if your team was you live somewhere else, you might do it.
0: Yeah, you just want. I mean, now thanks, thanks for calling, Mike. You know, the, the thing is, you you just wonder they paid. Gosh, the number I think it was they paid like seven billion B, as in billion dollars, for the rights to the NFL, and you just you wonder, just like just like with all the regional sports networks who are now finding that the rights fees they paid are more than they can generate in revenue. That that's. That's a lot of people um, who are going to end up shelling out that money. I mean, I assume they know what they're doing. But, of course, the the regional sports networks didn't know what they were doing when it came to the rights to baseball and basketball. Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hi, Jeff. I I, I think on this topic, I think that YouTube is asking a little bit, is asking way too much money for that. I mean, I can just say that when i was in florida whatever this past packer season whatever i think we were down there for the the pittsburgh steelers game cuz i have the i have direct tv whatever and i they have their streaming app and oh, yeah. when we were down there to see, to see the packer game I, I mean we we i brought my laptop we hooked up an hdmi cable to a big screen tv and through the and through the app i mean i just um we had the packer game whatever on the local fox on yeah. the local fox channel but I just like the Milwaukee Fox channel. And, and uh, I mean, cause like with direct TV, the way that they do it is that I think it's like the first two weeks of the season, they, they just open up the NFL, NFL package on their, in those stations just to blow right. up interest. Right. But after two weeks, whatever they want a subscription, I mean, I don't see, I've never seen any value, whatever in needing to see all those out of market games.
0: Well, yeah, no, Scott, thanks call. I guess, and I'm, see, I'm, I'm look, I'm a sports fan, but I'm, I, I'm just kind of sitting there again. I I, I am a YouTube subscriber, so again, I, I have it because of our place in Florida, which means I, I have it here as well. But I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so I could get this if I if I did it before June, it would be 250 bucks. But I'm, I'm honestly sitting here thinking, all right, I, I'm a Packers fan, so I can watch all the Packers games I want here. Um, I've, you know, would I like to watch out of market football games? Well, I, I guess maybe if the local TV is is showing Detroit versus Buffalo and maybe there's a, a better game that's out there. Yeah, I, I could see that. But is that going to be enough that's going to justify On those occasions where I feel strongly enough about it, is it gonna be enough to justify me shelling out a hundred and well, two hundred and fifty dollars and that's if you if you get in early, or three hundred and fifty dollars or four hundred and fifty dollars? Now I I guess time will tell, but I, I do think one of the things that's that's changing. Is this idea that you the the revenue you can generate from people who are willing to watch sports? That the thinking was you can charge what you want, and there's there's no limit, there's no ceiling. This is going to be something that's just going to grow to the sky. And the truth of the matter is, I, I think as you, again you're seeing with these regional sports networks that are in bankruptcy, I, I think you're seeing that that's not the case. I mean, I understand the NFL is a hot ticket. I understand that people want to buy it. I understand that this is certainly has an appeal for the niche, the, the, the hardcore Cleveland Browns fan who's not living in that area. But are there enough of those people at these type of prices to justify the dough? And I, I guess time will tell, but I think my initial reaction is, boy, I think they're going to, I think they're going to be struggling, but maybe they know what they're doing. Touched the nerve with this conversation. Um, so many questions. What, so, Jeff, can you explain to me? My son has a YouTube TV package. Are you saying that I need to buy a YouTube NFL ticket for two fifty if I want to watch my Dallas Cowboys? Yes. The, the The answer is the answer is is yes. If you want to watch out of market games, that would be the games. Other than what air, let, let's take it around here. So you know, around here, you, you see football games air on Channel Four, and they air on Channel Six, and they air on Channel Fifty Eight, right? That those they have football games. You, you know, those those you can watch that that are there. You don't need a special package. But if you want to watch games that aren't being aired on the local channels, you want to watch. Buffalo play Cleveland, for example, and it's not being aired on a Sunday afternoon on any of the local channels. Yes, what you need to do is you need to subscribe to this NFL Sunday ticket. If you are a YouTube TV subscriber and YouTube TV is like 73 bucks a month and you do it before June 6th, you can get the Sunday ticket package for 250. After that, it's 350. If you just want the Sunday ticket package and you don't want to be a YouTube subscriber, that's like 450 bucks and the question is going to be is that how expensive is that going to be somebody says jeff do you have is there a pay as you go per game to watch um no there's not you have to be a subscriber now with youtube tv you can cancel at any time so I, i don't know exactly how it would work you sign up to youtube tv you pay your 73 bucks and then you pay your 250 let's say to get the nfl sunday ticket package after a month, could you cancel the YouTube TV and still keep the Sunday ticket package? I don't know. We've quickly gone beyond my depth on that. So, if, if you want to go that route, um, you know, you can try to figure it out yourself. But it just shows that the costs of things and how stuff is going up and up and up. Speaking of that, let me see. The stock market today, not up as much as I thought it was going to be. Matter of fact, uh, the NASDAQ was up relatively significantly early on. Now it's down. But Part of the, the deal was that there was there was um, some good news when it comes to inflation. Inflation has been one of the, the huge issues, of course, that we've been dealing with, and it's one of the reasons the stock market was in the tank pretty much all of last year. New numbers came out today that said that inflation is slowing. So that, that is a good thing. U.S. consumer inflation eased in March, less expensive gas, um, although that's starting to change in April, lower food prices as well. So that that's a good indicator. Unfortunately, from the perspective of the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates and things like that, something that affects us all and has been slowing down the economy, the concern is that it, it hasn't been great enough to stop them from necessarily making another rate hike. In addition, um, federal officials are forecasting there is a recession to start later this year. They think it might be due to fallout from the banking system, which is one of the reasons why, um, even though inflation is slowing down a little bit, we've got all these other financial problems that are out there as well. So. Um, mixed bag on the economic front. Hopefully things will get better, and hopefully we'll all be able to have enough money that we can afford that uh, that YouTube uh, NFL Sunday ticket package. Okay, I am out of time. Brewers baseball coming up right after the top of the hour news. I am back tomorrow, 12 noon, full show, three hours. We do this all again. Have a great Wednesday. Enjoy the weather. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.